All right, shall we pray? Oh, Father, we thank you for today. This is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you, Father, that we can gather together in freedom to worship. We thank you, Father, that we don't have restrictions here in Darwin. We're just so grateful, Father. We just pray that you would speak to us in this time that we have together. We open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. I pray that everything that comes out of my mouth would be your words, and anything that's not would fall to the ground and die. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're in this place. I pray that you'd help all of us to grow up, to just grow up into Christ, to grow up into the fullness of what he saw when he hung on that tree. Thank you, Jesus, that you're in this place. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Well, last week um, we had a bit of a, a chat about the day in the life of a disciple. And I feel like I just want to put a little bow on the top of that, if that's okay. Um, can anyone, we had a little quick dance through the early books of Acts, the early chapters of Acts. And then we landed in Acts 8, and, and we looked at the day in the life of Philip and all of the wonderful things that happened. Um, can anyone remember? Call it out. What are the amazing things that happened? What are the miraculous things that were happening? He was, he was translocated. Yes. What else? He was listening. There was water in the desert. Yes. Super speed. Yes. Yeah, there was the preaching of the word. There was the preaching of the gospel multiple times. It wasn't just one time. It was like, I think three times in one chapter, he was preaching the gospel. And what followed the preaching of the gospel? Signs, miracles, and wonders. Yes. What else? Anything else? Unclean spirits were coming out of people. The paralyzed were healed. Um, we saw um, discernment and a word of knowledge. Angel appearance. Wow. Anyway, so we're talking about what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? That's, that's the normal, that's what we're called to. We're called to live an extraordinary life filled with the Spirit of God, taking the kingdom of God wherever we go, preaching the gospel, seeing people respond, seeing people baptized, seeing evil spirits leave, seeing healings, okay? We are filled with the Spirit of God and we're called to take him out to, to a lost and broken world. All right, so today I just wanted to say that I feel like that's a day in the life of a disciple, right? I feel like there's a way that we as disciples of Jesus can position our hearts to live like that. Does that make sense? So today I want to talk about the heart position of a disciple because um, what we do flows out of where? What's in our heart? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you do will come out of who you are. Amen? Okay, so I just wanted to make mention of this because I feel like as the Lord, as the Holy Spirit has taught me how to position my heart, 
it's it's set me up to grow quickly to um, be available for the Holy Spirit to you to use and and I'm doing things I thought I would never be doing I never dreamed I would be standing here doing this in fact if you had told me that I would be standing here doing this like even six years ago I would have laughed at your face and told you you are possessed by a demon (laughs) right but it's like it's crazy what the Lord can do when you position your heart right so we're going to talk about that just for a little bit. I'm not a gardener. Who, who are the green thumbs in the room? Do we have any? Who, who's, who loves, Tom loves his garden. Esther, yes. Well, actually, I have a story. Esther's sister, Ruth, is a bit of a green thumb. She, she loves her garden. She loves, like, she'll just throw pumpkin seeds in the garden and all of a sudden she's giving me a fresh pumpkin. It's like... How do you do that? <laughs> anyway, she had this beautiful, lush, green, tropical paradise garden. Um, and she was cleaning it up and she had a whole heap of these plants in a bucket. I went over there one day um, and I was like, oh, I've always wanted some of those plants. And she's like, you can take them home. And I'm like, oh, I wouldn't know what to do. And she's like, you just take them home and you plant them and you water them and they'll grow. And I'm like, okay. And she gives me this bucket of plants and it is like stinky, smelly pond water. Like, and I'm like, oh, I was like rethinking, do I really want to take these plants home? Anyway, I took them home. I don't know anything about plants, but I'm like, I want them in my front garden, had a bit of a vision, and I'm just going to plant them in my front garden. My front garden, no shade. It's like full sun the whole day. Anyway, she came over a few days later, and she's like, oh, you planted them there. And I'm like, yeah, they'll be fine. And she's like, oh, (laughs) I don't know how they're going to go. Anyway... Praise God, my husband is very good at watering the garden. He's, he's a great waterer. He loves green grass and he, he will fuss around with the hose and the sprinkler system. It's one of his little things that he does and I'll always be like, oh, what's he doing out there? Anyway, because he's such a good waterer, the plants, is that even a word? A waterer. The plants... The plants didn't die. They're still there. And in fact, um, the ground still looks, it's, it's like a pretty gross garden. There's nothing in there. It's like dirt and pretty dry. But these plants were growing and they started getting bigger and they started getting so big that you could multiply them. So you could, you could take one of these plants and put it. So now I have, where well, I had only four or five plants, now I have a whole row of plants, Right? I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Right? And one day Ruth came over and she's like, oh my gosh, those plants, they're they're like doing so great. And they're like, what's the Lord telling you through your garden? And I was like, if you water it, it'll grow. And she's like, yeah, yeah. But you know what? You know how Ruth is? Ruth and Dave used to pastor this church. She's like, she's like you know what I, what, what the Lord's telling me through your garden? She's like, 
You can be in the hardest, most hostile environment and you can still grow and multiply. And she, she got all passionate. She started preaching the gospel. And I was like, yeah. Anyway, so I was like, there's a, there's a picture. It, can, yeah, Sam, can you jump on there? There should be... Oh, is there a picture? I'm pretty sure I did notes. Can we drag it? Can I press pause? I'm going to run up the back. You won't see this in a mega church. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. Oh, sure. Sorry, I did make slides for you. Anyway, I had a picture of a um, flower that was growing in like cracked soil. I also pulled, so just picture that in your mind. I also pulled something off Carla's Facebook. At the beginning of the year, she was going for a walk and she took a photo of this tree and it was like at Casuarina Beach or one of the beaches and all its roots are hanging down this cliff but it's still like green and growing and it's like that tree shouldn't be alive but it was still growing, it was still flourishing and I want to encourage all of us that it doesn't matter what's going on in the world, what your family situation is, whether you like whether you're being persecuted in another country, um, whether you've got a picture-perfect life, like it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, you can flourish because the gospel works in every single situation, in every country, in every life, right? So we just want to position our hearts so that we can receive everything that the gospel gives us, right? All right, so five ways that we can position our hearts. The first one, all in. When I look at the life of the disciples, they were all in. There was none of this sitting on the fence business. There was none of this, if I feel like it, I'm going to follow Jesus. There was none of that. It was all in. And when Jesus was teaching his disciples, Luke 9.23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Whoa, we don't like reading those ones. But the teaching of Jesus was deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. When we say yes to Jesus, like if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, the first thing you have to do is crucify yourself. 
And man, that hurts sometimes. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Because it's, it's not about you anymore. It's about him. Taking up your cross daily, what does that even mean? When Jesus took up his cross, he was heading where? To be crucified. Man, when I read that, I remember Jesus in the garden and he was praying. And he was praying so hard, he's sweating drops of blood. And he's, he's praying to the Father and he's like, Father, I don't want to do this. He's like, is there any way you can take this from me? Because he knew, he knew that his body would be torn apart. He knew he would be humiliated. Thank you. I was going to say humilified. Humiliated. (laughs) Oh, gosh. He knew the pain, right? He knew he was going to suffer. He knew they were going to strip him bare. He knew. And he didn't want to do it. And he was there in the garden and he's like, if there's anything else you can do, is there any other way this can happen, God? Please do it. But then he said, but not my will, but your will be done. And then he went to the cross. And I feel like we have to have that attitude. Not my will, God, but yours be done. Not what I want, but yours be done. When you're like, what does that mean, taking up your cross and following Jesus? Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Paul said it so beautifully, and I say it all the time, in Galatians 2.20, I have been, what? Crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but who? Christ who lives in me. And this life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As disciples of Jesus, we need to have a heart posture of all the time. What do you think about this, Lord? What are you saying? What do I do here? How do I represent you in this situation? Is this what I want or is this what you want, Lord? Because it's so easy to just be like, get on the bandwagon and be like, this isn't fair and, and rah, this is violating my rights. But it, like, seriously, we have to stop and ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying? It doesn't mean that we become doormats. It doesn't mean that people walk over us. But far out, the amount of times when I've stopped and asked the Lord, when I've felt that this isn't fair, how dare they speak to me like that, like rise up inside me and I've said, Lord, what are you saying? What's my response to be? And man, 99% of the time, he's like, Naomi, overcome evil with good. Naomi, love covers a multitude of sins. Naomi, it matters what I think, not what they think. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah? All in. Matthew 10.34, Jesus, he said, Perhaps you think I've come to spread peace and calm over the earth. I think this is the Passion Translation, by the way. But my coming will bring conflict and division, not peace. Because of me, a son will turn against his father, a daughter her mother.
and against her mother-in-law. Within your own families, you will find enemies. Whoever loves his father or mother or son or daughter more than me is not fit to be my disciple. Whoa, boom. And whoever comes to me must follow in my steps and be willing to share my cross and and experience it as his own or he is not worthy of me. Those who cling to their lives will give up true life. But those who let go of their lives for my sake and surrender it all to me will discover true life. Man, this is the gospel. This is, we're called to be all in. We're called to love the Lord with all our hearts and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. More than our children, more than our job, more than our passions, more than our husband or wife. More than anything else on the earth, we're called to love him and follow him. And guess what? It doesn't make sense if you don't live that way. If you try and be a Christian and and live sort of half-heartedly, it actually doesn't make sense. And lots of people will be like, I tried Christianity out, it didn't work. Guess what? I bet you didn't give up your life. (laughs) I bet you didn't. I bet you were still trying to live for you. Because I've done it that way and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The last scripture I'll share is Romans 10 verse 9. Um, Just for this one. And it's one I say all the time, but I'm going to say it again. Um, It's a scripture that we hear often when people are giving an altar call for salvation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We hear it all the time and people would be like, just put your hand up and then you'll be saved and you'll go to heaven, blah, blah, blah. I'm not um, discounting that that can be a genuine moment for people. Okay, I'm not saying that. But I feel like we need to understand the word Lord there in the Greek is kairos, which means master, supreme controller, the thing to whom a person belongs. So when you put your hand up to a salvation call, we're actually saying, are you willing to make Jesus your master and the Lord of your life, the person that you belong to, the person that's controlling you now? It's, it's so much more than just being like, I believe God's real. It's like, no, I'm, I'm giving up my rights and I'm going to follow Jesus. Does that make sense? It's really important. Um, and so I feel like the application, I had a picture for an application. If you have a journal here or a bit of paper, um, I want you to draw a little circle. Maybe we can put this up on our Facebook page or something so that you can do this for homework. But draw a circle and in the middle you put Jesus. Put the word Jesus. And then you're going to draw a big circle around that. And in that big circle, you're going to section it off into sections. And every part of your life needs to be saturated with who? Jesus. So before Jesus, I was in the middle of, of my world and, and I had um, sections of my life. Like I have a marriage, I have children, um, I have family, I have friends, I have work, 
I have hobbies and interests. I have skills and talents that the Lord has given me, right? Um, I should have a section that says health and fitness. I struggle with that one, um, right? And, and before Jesus, I was in the middle. I was calling the shots. I was like Lord of my life. Okay, but when we say Jesus is Lord of our life, he's in the middle. So then I bring every part of my life to him in relationship and I say, God, what does it look like to have you as the centre of my marriage? What does it look like to have you um, helping me like with my children, raise my children? How do I raise my children with you at the centre of our home and our family? What does it look like when you're in me at work? Like, what does it look like to, get, to use my gifts and my hobbies and my talents for you, Lord, for your glory, right? And so this is like homework for you. You can go home and, and it's not just something that you do in like two minutes and, and do a rough job of. It's like you, you spend time talking to the Father and listening to what he's got to say because I've, I do this often, this is not a one-time thing for me. I will probably do this every six months and just sit with the Lord and just ask him, Father, let's have a look at my life. How can I do this better with you? Is there any area that, I, that I've just become short-sighted? Is there any area that I'm, I'm actually living for myself and I'm not giving you control of? Does that make sense? So, um, sorry that the thing's not working, but first point, all in. Lay down your life. Second heart posture of a disciple. Hungry. Hungry. <clears throat> you know, when Jesus was walking the earth, there were multitudes of people around him. People were hungry for what he had, yeah? What if Jesus was walking in Darwin? What would it look like? Where would you be? Would you be sitting in this room or would you be like, where is Jesus today? I'm going to be there. Yeah? I, I love the story of um, blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10. Jesus is walking He's sitting on the side of the road begging. He's been blind all his life, I think. And Jesus would have walked right past him. He's got crowds of people. He's not really stopping. He's, he's got things to do. And Bartimaeus, he calls out to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus. And the people are like, oh, shh. Don't bother him. He's too busy. But he keeps calling out and he's like, Jesus, Jesus. And, and Jesus stops. And he's like, he's like, call him over. And so Bartimaeus call, can't, goes over to Jesus and Jesus is like, what do you want? Now he could have got offended right then. Because he could have been like, he's the son of God. I've been blind for my whole life. And he's asking me what I want. Like, seriously? But he's like, I want to see. 
And Jesus is like, your faith has healed you. Go. Man, hunger. He was hungry enough to call out to Jesus, to look like a fool, to have everyone else like saying, oh, shush, stop it. Stop making a noise. But he got what he wanted, didn't he? He got his sight. He didn't let anyone else, what anyone else was doing him, deter him from pulling on Jesus. And we need to be the same. We need to be the same. You hunger for what you thirst, no. You hunger for what you feed on, yeah? You do. Who are all the chocoholics in the room? This one is, keeps eating my chocolates at night. Man, you start eating chocolate at night? What do you crave every night? Chocolate. Man, you do the no sugar diet for however long that takes to get it all out? Man, your taste buds change, right? And all of a sudden, like, I, I have done like fasts or whatever where I haven't eaten anything or haven't, have cut out everything and just had salad and veggies or whatever. But it, it gets to a point where you're like, I don't even want that stuff anymore. And then you go back on it and you have a taste and it's like, oh, like that doesn't even satisfy me now. That doesn't, I don't even want that in my body, right? It's the same with the Lord. When you feast on the Lord, what do you want? More of him. And the more you drink of him, the more you want of him. And the more you drink, the more he fills you, right? You, the, the more you feed on the things of the world, and they may not be bad things, but, but they can be distracting. And, and the more that you do that, the more that you'll want to do that. And you'll sort of become dull to that, to that pool of the Lord. Does that make sense? So we need to hunger and thirst after the Lord. And, and it might be a bit hard at the beginning, there's nothing in the way. There's no separation. Jesus has made, made the way. Okay, but the enemy will come in and he'll be like, this is hard, this is hard. You can't know God. You can't hear his voice. This is dry. Don't bother. Be distracted. Here's a message. Here's like something that you're thinking about, about work. Right? That's what the enemy does. But no, you hunger and thirst after the Lord because he promises you will be filled. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. All your heart. Not half-heartedly. Not while you're like watching TV and scrolling on Facebook and messaging. No, he's, he's more worthy than that. And I'm preaching, for, I'm preaching to me too. Because I can fall into that easily. This is not like a rebuke. It's, it's a like encouragement. Hunger after the Lord because he will fill you, right? <clears throat> James 4.8, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. 
far out. How would you worship if Jesus was in the room? If he was standing here in the flesh, how would you worship? How would you pray if he was standing here in the flesh? Sometimes I like to just imagine that he's, I'm sitting in my chair or on my bed praying or whatever, and I imagine that, he, that he's there physically with me so that I engage better. Does that make sense? It helps me. Don't be afraid to do that. I think I'll put a full stop there. Hunger. Okay, the third one. Humble. Humility. Having a humble heart. Philippians 2. Verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Ah, man, every time I feel myself getting proud, um, I go back to that verse. That, That is the heart posture that we're called to have as disciples. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others more important than yourself. Man, if we just did that, if we just got that, man, what would the church look like? Man, we wouldn't have an issue filling our teams because it's like, man, these guys are more important to me than, than my own life. Wow. Humility. A a heart posture of humility, it means I can learn from anyone. I can learn something from anyone. It doesn't matter if they've been saved one day, 20 days, 50 years. I can learn something from everyone. I can learn something from someone that may not have their theological thread exactly perfect because I, I know I can learn from them because they've got a relationship with the Lord too and the Lord lives inside of them so man there'll be some wisdom coming out of their mouth at some point man we need to have that heart posture yeah Heart posture of humility. It means that you care more about unity than about being right. Yeah? It means that you can overcome evil with good. It means that you have a perspective 
that's higher than what's going on in front of you. Yeah? At the end of the day, we have to remember we're living for an audience of one. Even though we have multiple interactions with people every day, we live for him. We'll stand before him and give an account of our lives and how we lived it. Not before anyone else and all of their opinions, we stand before him. Yeah? Let's keep that in mind. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. That should put the fear of the Lord in us. (laughs) That should make us humble right there. I don't want the Lord to oppose me. The fourth one, heart posture of a disciple, obedience. And this sort of ties in really to the lordship of Jesus. If, If Jesus is your Lord, you'll be obedient. You'll do what he says to do. Um, But I just wanted to make a special point. Um, 1 John 2 verse 3 says, And we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I feel like I don't even need to preach on that. It's like if you love him, you'll do what he says. If you know him, you'll obey him. It's like if you say that you love him or that you know him and you're not doing what he asked you to do, then you're a liar. Like that's the Bible talking. That's not even me. It's just like you're deceived. The truth isn't in you. Because if you know him, you will do what he says. Simple as that. Heart posture of of a disciple is one of obedience. And I mean, we could talk about lots of things. We could talk about... I'm, I'm just not going to go there. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit just like marinate whatever he wants to speak to you about there um, because it's different for everyone. Some people will like have trouble with sharing their faith with people, with being bold and, and going and doing what Jesus asked them to do, making disciples. Some people will struggle with sin. Like some people have like genuine struggles with sin. And the Lord, like he actually died to set you free from that, right? And you can actually be free from sin, which is exciting. Um, Praise the Lord. Fifth one, last one. Heart posture of a disciple, love. Love. John 13, 34. Jesus said, a new commandment. I give unto you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, the whole world will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have one for another. Man, heart posture of love. If everything that we do is out of that heart posture of love, we can't fail because love never fails. So the posture of our hearts, whether we're 
um, preaching the gospel to someone, prophesying over someone, um, cooking a meal for someone, just at work, if our heart posture is one of love, man, the Holy Spirit can work with that. Okay? If we're doing anything out of like obligation or like weird sort of thing or like to get another notch in your belt because I... you know, I got to share the gospel with another person or I got this word of knowledge right on. Like, that's so gross and you need to go back and spend time with the Father (laughs) and be filled up with love and then go again. Yeah? The heart posture needs to always be love. 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, it says, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and from a sincere faith. The whole goal of us being filled with Jesus is love, yeah? Because God is love. And if God's inside of you, then guess what you are too, love. And, and we just need to remember, we can't be something that we haven't been filled with. So if you haven't been filled with the love of God, if you haven't had an encounter with God's love, how can you possibly be the love of God to someone else? Yeah? Praise the Lord. So heart posture of a disciple. Five things. I think it's good for us to just have time with the Lord and reflect on these things and just our own heart posture. But then also when you're discipling someone else, this is good information to give them because it positions their heart for success. It's, it's setting them up to grow quickly. It's setting them up um, to just receive everything that the Lord wants to give them and wants to do in their life. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, Today, I would love to finish in communion groups, if that's okay. So, um, that's just where...